0: family, and welcome to another episode of Normal with Autism. We are walking with faith on this side of the spectrum, and we are wanting you to come to the kitchen table to experience the joy in the journey. I'm Tara. I'm Sarah. And we have a friend joining us tonight. Oh, he's the DRO Communications.
1: Yeah. Ooh. He has a hundred jobs.
0: Okay. Well, we will we will get him in here. And we can do that now.
1: So you don't want to know how I'm doing or anything? I do. I want to know you
0: all of that stuff. only care about Ross. But our Keith is leaving. Our Craig is leaving us tonight because the oldest one is... Um, out doing high school senior things. Mm. So I don't have a babysitter.
1: What are high school senior things? Have they changed?
0: Um, you know, just like his play stuff and doing his play and music and
1: So hang- not getting drunk in a field. No, oh, okay. no, no. So things have changed.
0: Yes. Well, but not for all seniors, but for him he's very like chill and relaxed mm-hmm. and, and that kind of thing. So, so how are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm excited
1: about tonight. Yeah. Me I'm too. excited about our guest. Yeah.
0: I, uh, I
2: just...
0: Oh, is our guest here? About our guest, our guest. Oh, Oh, where, where is are he? you? Oh, oh, there you are. Hey, hi. hi. Oh gosh. gosh. I look awful. Okay. Oh, no. Hi. It's good to see you. You too. Ross, you your hair
1: play? game is. I mean, yeah. I stepped it up. Come on. Yeah,
0: Hold on. I'm going to fix my headphones so that I can have a hair game. This is my chance. Also. You can say
1: anything I watch can't hear me. <laughs> there we go.
0: <laughs> I am
1: losing my hair
0: at the ripe old age of four, almost 44.
1: Mm, you should get your thyroid checked. Mm.
0: Everybody said that to me. Yeah. Everybody.
1: Your thigh will ruin your life. So we want to welcome um, a special guest
0: back to the podcast. He's, um, as Sarah would say, our returning champion.
1: Yes. Thanks, John Lovett, for letting me steal that from you. It's
3: Ross. Hi.
1: Hi. Hi. From Disability Rights Ohio.
3: Yay. How are you guys doing?
0: Good. We are so happy to have you tonight. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Thank you for coming back on and my understanding is you have some pretty amazing things to share with us tonight, talk about tonight and Sarah is kind of in charge. I've given her the the reins for this evening. She looks a little <laughs> Anxiety nervous.
1: Anxiety increases. While,
0: while while we're getting her set up, Ross, how are you doing?
2: Doing all right. Yeah, life's getting a little bit back to normal. Got my first vaccine shot this week, so
0: Yay. we're there. So. That's exciting.
2: Very exciting. Yeah.
0: how How's your How's your little family? Remind us how many kiddos you have.
2: Gosh, it's not little. We have four kids and three dogs and a hamster. hmm So. You guys
1: are
0: busy.
2: Yeah. Always something. Just loud <laughs> and messy, but generally happy.
0: <laughs> now are all the kiddos are all your kiddos in school are they doing like hybrid or regular or what
2: what's we are lucky in that our district has been um they opened up online for anybody who wanted to do online but they had um full schedule in-person school available from the get-go from last fall um they were actually on cnn last week yeah like I, CNN, was, story I was gonna tell
1: you about that,
2: that. <laughs> for showing that they've not they've not traced a single case back to people being in school, either teachers or students. It's it's insane how they've done it. Um, So our three oldest are school age. We have sixth grade, fifth grade, and third grade. And they've all been in school full time.
3: Wow.
0: I'm sure there are a lot of people listening right now who wish they were you (laughs) to have that kind of
2: working from home full time. I, I, I
0: can't
2: imagine how much different
0: the last <laughs> right. six months or so could have been. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I was just talking to um, one of my girlfriends because I had to set up a an appointment for Finn recently and where she works is where we go to see this particular developmental doctor and we were on the phone. She's like, oh, it's me. Is it okay that you talk to me? I was like, yeah, I don't care. And uh, she asked me and she was like, how are things going? You know, Are you hybrid or 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 full time or whatever, and we've been very fortunate that Finn's school is amazing, run by two amazing women. And he has been in full time school since the summer, yeah, um, because he participates in summer camp. So we were yeah. pretty we were pretty lucky for that as well. I know there are a lot of families, especially special needs families, that have struggled, yeah, mightily over this last year. Yeah. Um, so
1: we we're like a year into this, and this morning so Caleb on his school days he does hybrid is very anxious so he's like waking up at five thirty, and Matt totally forgot and so when I was leaving for work at like seven Winston with our cat was like me like meowing at his door and mm-hmm. I like open up door be like look he's not here and I was like Caleb should you be awake <laughs> and he's like oh my god and Matt's like I didn't even like I can't keep the day straight right like every day runs into another day and right so, but he's going back to four days a week mm-hmm. soon mm-hmm. To, in school, and he'll be excited slash anxious. Yeah,
0: before. I think it'll be good. I think it'll be good. So, yeah. Um. Well, let's jump into things tonight, shall we? Okay. Ross, can you um reintroduce yourself a little bit for folks who might be listening for the first time um, and didn't get to catch your last episode that you did with us?
2: Sure. I'm Ross Music. I'm the Director of Communications. And outreach for Disability Rights Ohio. Uh, Disability Rights Ohio is a nonprofit organization um, that's Ohio's state designated uh, protection advocacy agency. Uh, so we have access authority, we conduct monitoring and investigations um, to make sure that Ohioans with disabilities um, aren't being abused, neglected, or taken advantage of. Uh, and then we have a, an intake department that handles requests for um, short term assistance, housing assistance. Um, issues with employment um, basically any issue that that arises for people with disabilities uh, in the state of Ohio you know we will field their calls and try to get them uh, the assistance that they need.
0: Wonderful and remind me for just a second every state has uh, like a, a disability rights like the protection agency is that correct?
2: that's correct and it originally it was set up as at least in ohio as a state agency um, and a number of years ago uh, that arrangement people realized how silly it was that we were a state agency that was federally funded and the bulk of our work was fighting with the state
3: <laughs> for the way they were
2: doing things and so we were spun off into a 501c3 uh, nonprofit, but we maintained that designated pna status which means we have a lot of um, rights. So our tagline is we have the legal right of way. We have the right of way to investigate and monitor and look into uh, any situations like those that arise in Ohio. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: I love love that that you mentioned funded by the state but fighting with them because, I mean, why not, right? That's just...
2: I mean, all of our families are a little dysfunctional, so I guess it shouldn't be that out of line, but I think the new arrangement makes a little more sense for everybody involved.
1: Oh, yeah. And have you guys gotten busier because of the pandemic?
2: Yeah, um, the pandemic, actually, we next week, um, throughout next week, we're focusing on a few different issues that have come up in the last year, just retrospectively looking at how much things have changed. Um, you know, the issues we're magnified with we all these kind of like slow and festering systemic issues that we're gonna talk about. Um, but then you turn the world upside down. And not only uh, do we have to figure out, hey, we're not gonna be in the office together, so how can we shift to remote working as an office of you know 65 or 70 people and figure out how to take intake calls so people who need help can contact us. Um, and then also how do we monitor? We're supposed to monitor facilities to make sure they're doing things the right way, treating yeah. correctly, nobody's being abused or neglected. Um, kind of figure that out. And then we have a whole special education team who typically helps, you know, people with, um, you know, their IEPs or issues where their schools aren't providing the services they really should be. Um, well, everyone's schools kind of got upside down last spring. So, um, I mean, the amount of work did increase. I mean, the pandemic certainly brought new challenges in the volume we were handling, but more so it was the workflow. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of had to reinvent every system. Um, and I, I'll be honest, I didn't start at Zero until May. So I've only been in the office one time for my first interview, which is last <laughs> March. Uh, a new executive director had just started in April. So it was just this huge wave of turnover. Um, and the people there are so, so good at what they do and so committed that not doing it, I don't think was ever an option to them. They were like, all right, we're going to figure it out, we're going to do it um and a big part of what we do is uh, making sure people with disabilities can be involved um, in the legislative process right we had kind of a big election last november yeah. and voting was not typical um and so we pushed uh for a lot of accommodations to be made and i think generally that was successful to make sure we had no excuse curbside voting anybody could pull up to a polling location on election day and so somebody didn't say, Hey, I can't get out on a car. You need to come, let me vote. And they bring it out to you. Um, we uh, had some programs that brought um, ballot marking tools uh, were available for the first time in every county uh, for the November election last year. So there were a lot of new tools that kind of had to be scrambled into place uh, to make sure that, you know, people with disabilities could, you know, uh, exercise that fundamental right to be involved in the process.
1: Yeah, that's such important work.
0: I remember um, we actually were able to share the voting sheet that DRO put out and that was very helpful. And um, I agree with you that, I mean, you're telling us, you know, things seem to go pretty well. I remember going to vote and I didn't see like like someone who I could say like, oh, they're like maybe in a wheelchair, they're disabled, you know, anything like that. But I did see a lot of older folks, like people like my parents age voting um, and being able to stand in the line and and get what they needed and get in there and get out. And the people at the Franklin County Voting Center there over on Morris Road, they did a fantastic job. They got us all in and out pretty quickly. So that was pretty awesome.
2: Yeah, we had a we had a hotline open uh, the entire time the polls were open. And we were—we had issues we had to deal with. We had to visit a few polling places to make sure things were being done correctly and make a few contact with people, you know, at different, in different counties. But generally, for how bad it could have been, I think mm-hmm. everyone did pretty well, considering mm-hmm. the circumstances. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Fantastic. Well, tonight... Oh, no, not... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. Excuse me. I'm listening.
1: I have responsibility for once.
0: Yes, you do. I'm Hi,
1: this is my show now. And...
0: I'll just keep the dogs quiet while you're
1: interviewing him. <laughs> I really don't even know where to go from here. Um, well, that's awesome. And we are so thankful for you guys and the work that you're doing. Um, You know, we w- were just talking a couple of shows ago about um, accommodations and how, um, you know, disabled people have been told, like, oh, you can't work from home. We can't make these accommodations for you. And it's amazing how, like once capitalism needed that to happen how it happened uh so i don't know maybe uh disabled people are actually right Mm -hmm, (laughs) and they can do a lot more if they're just given accommodations Mm -hmm. so i applaud your organization for fighting for people it's awesome uh anxiety um Okay, so in preparation for this episode that I had to write the outline for, um, well, first I called you or I had you call me because I was freaking out and then I wrote a bunch of stuff down and I read a bunch of different websites and now we're going to talk about these words that are on here. Um, (laughs) Are we
0: talking about what tonight are we talking about what the DRO is up to? now what they're doing now so they focused i'm going to, I'm on... going to tell
1: you oh okay go for it all bit. right tonight we're going to talk about what is dro up to and uh ross you told me about lots of exciting things um so the first thing i wanted to talk to you about is the OHCBSC. tell me about it and what it, it means. rolls right
2: off the tongue it
1: really does <laughs>
2: So this is the Ohio HCBS Coalition, um, a huge part of our priorities. Sorry, there
1: are dogs uh, everywhere. I'm so sorry. It's
2: OK. I, it feels like I'm at home. <laughs> They're here too. Um, the uh, Ohio HCBS Coalition uh, is was put together um, to advocate for home and community-based services uh, for Ohioans with disabilities. Um, this is not something we're doing on our own. This is a magnitude of work that we can never accomplish on our own. Um, this is the coalition is, is more than 50 uh, organizations and individuals who came together and said, this is an issue. This is an issue where Ohio lags behind the rest of the country in making it possible for people who want to live and receive services in their communities um, to do so. Our systems heavily favor what amounts to essentially institutionalization. Mm-hmm. Um, If you, you know, want to receive care, that's what you have to do. Um, And that's just not, you know, in looking towards uh, wanting to build a society um, of equity, I think equity is a more important word here than equality. We don't want everyone to receive the same things. We want everyone to have the same opportunity. Um, So looking for a society of equity where people with disabilities are free to live, work, learn, Go and receive services where and how they choose. You know that's something that needs to be fixed. And uh, so this coalition was formally launched um, last fall. I've been very active through the legislative process, uh, getting to know. Um, you know we have a, a new incoming legislative body that just started uh, in January. Getting to know them and really helping them understand, uh, because let's be honest, unless you you are someone with a disability or are close to someone with a disability who's been in this process your stories aren't heard and people don't know the struggles that you go through. They think, oh, we have those really nice, you know, residential care facilities. a little barbershop and it's cute and that's fine. And for people who want to live in those settings, that's great. But a simple diagnosis, uh, we don't believe, should be a sentence to life in one of those facilities. If you want to live in your community and receive services in your home, you should be able to do so. And so that's... Um, been the big push behind this new coalition.
1: Awesome. Very important work. Um, And I like what you said about like meeting with lawmakers, because at the end of the day, you know, very little gets done without political action. Um, So I read the letter that the HCBS wrote to governor DeWine back in August Um, And it was urging for the need to protect and expand home and community based services. And some of the statistics were eye opening. I feel like this whole year we've had all these statistics shown, like thrown at us. Um, But 57% of COVID deaths in the state of Ohio happen in long term care facilities, Um, which is like that's a huge number. Um, How is the pandemic? Like furtherly, further complicated, no, furtherly is not a word. <laughs> how is it further complicated access to home and community services?
2: Well, to me, I think it's best to look at it as if you have a house and every time you pull up the house, you look at the roof and you're like, Man, I'm going to need to redo the roof soon. When you start to notice there's little, little spots on your ceiling where a little bit of water is getting through. You know, there's a problem and you're thinking at some point that's going to deal with. If you get a flood, you know a huge thunderstorm comes through and dumps two inches of rain, your roof's going to cave in, right? The event happened that um, showed just how bad that was, mm-hmm. and the pandemic was the flood, right? These little issues have been there; the cracks have been there. Um, it's needed addressed for a long time, but you know when the pandemic came, we had a ton of people who didn't want to have to live in a facility were there because it was their only option. It was the only way they they could get their services or or have the funding for their services. So they were stuck in there. And then so many of those people died. Um, It's a shame that it got that far. It never should have been like that, but it happened. And, you know, well, when the roof caves in because of the flood, everyone looks and says, okay, we have to do something about that. And, you know, not that anything good can come of a situation like that where so many, lives were lost needlessly, but we can look at that and we can say, we all agree now what we have isn't working. Um, and it was uh, actually a little bit um, reassuring when the uh, the governor's draft proposal, the biennial budget, which will be the 2022-2023 budget, uh, came out a few weeks ago. It actually had, in the very first draft that was released, an increase in funding for these sorts of services. Um, No, we are obviously pushing for more because we don't think it's enough, but at least, you know, the the Republican governor in a very red state is recognizing that and starting to allocate funding that way. So I think that's a a pretty great first step.
1: Yeah, definitely. For sure. Do you have any um,
0: thoughts about maybe what pushed our legislature to go into that direction?
2: Um. I think there's are just more voices, you know, one voice or one organization's voice pointing this out, saying this needs to change. These are ignore, Right. There's a lot of noise out there, um, you know, I think our coalition might be part of that, you know, 50 voices in unison saying this needs to change.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I think it's that partnered with just the awareness now of the issue um, that happened because of the pandemic, I mean, it's, it's a really sad and kind of gross statistic
3: mm-hmm. to say you know oh,
2: we're the wealthiest nation in the world you know we're the freest country in the world unless you have a disability and then you know you're stuck in a home and you get exposed to COVID because you can't get out um so I think it's it's you know part situational and part um effective advocacy finally happening at allowed level volume um and like I said it's, it's a shame that it had to get like that to be addressed mm-hmm. but you know the things are the wheels are slowly starting to turn and we're hoping that we're not hoping our plan is tonight. That's great. That doesn't mean this problem is resolved. You know mm-hmm. that means we need to fix it before the next storm comes. You know?
0: Agreed. Yeah, Agreed.
1: Yeah. Um. So in response to um the budget increase, you know that DeWine put in the the budget, um, you. The DRO submitted interested party testimony to the Ohio house finance subcommittee on health and human services. Um, which when you told me that I was like, what they are so important? (laughs) Like, I didn't know you could do that. Um, and it's regarding additional needs for the funding that addresses the six components of the budget and the impact they'll have on Ohioans with disabilities. Um, I wanted to talk specifically about the first one and the last one. Um, the first one is increasing investments to support direct support provider wages and increasing investments supporting multi-system youth and preventing custody relinquishment. Um, so I was shocked to learn that home health care aides' wages have not changed since Nineteen ninety-eight. They have not changed since I was wearing Janko jeans. Mm-hmm. What is happening? Mm-hmm.
2: Walking through the halls of Watkins Middle School, right? Right. <laughs>
1: <it>. Right. <laughs>
3: That's
2: forever ago. <laughs> forever.
1: <laughs> forever.
0: Well, I can I can kind of chime in for just a second when I worked as a for a newbie in the mental health field. I um, started out as a lowly caseworker, and I worked with um, homeless population, and I made like $10 an hour. Mm. And I don't think that number has changed.
1: Oh, my gosh.
0: I think there are still like social worker, counselor, mental health newbies that are going into the field making about $10 an hour. That is horrifying. And that was all the way back in 2000. So although I'm
1: sad about this statistic, I'm not Surprised, at all? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, a home health care aide is a hard, hard job. Yes, it is. You know, you are lifting people. You know, helping them with their their ADLs. You know, eating and bathing and you know medication management. There's so much that goes into it, mm-hmm. and the fact that they're paid a starving wage mm-hmm. is Mm mind-blowing you know like you said we're the richest nation in the world and we can't pay oh Mm. Mm -hmm.
3: um
1: so the home health care field is made up predominantly of women of color Mm -hmm. um this statistic blew my mind they earn typically they earn less than 138 percent of the poverty line in ohio i should have looked up how much that was Mm
3: -hmm. it's not a lot Uh -uh. 53%
1: 53% of them qualify for public assistance. You should not work a full-time job and still qualify for food stamps.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: What?
2: It's, you know, in our society, the money goes towards the attention,
3: yeah. right?
2: And there are a lot of jobs that, you know, people aren't aware of or don't have the visibility of, and they're just not considered important. Um, In this whole discussion what really kind of grabbed me and put everything into focus um was that looking at all these issues separately um they're never going to be dealt with because you know it is a racial inequality issue right Mm -hmm. it is a wage equity issue it's a health and safety issue Um, and we can campaign and, and advocate all day long to say people should be able to receive services in their homes and live in their homes if they want to that's great that system's not going to work if the jobs aren't filled and the jobs aren't being filled because the physicians don't pay enough um what blew my mind about this was the annual turnover rate for home health aides is 50 percent. wow i
1: believe so it
2: the pool, the pool of people who are in people's homes taking care of them um you know every year half of them are gone and new people come in um the overall labor market rate is like three and a half or four wow. percent for this position it's 50 percent. that's not sustainable that's never going to work
3: yeah.
2: um, so that's why like that's the first item we put in this testimony is you know this is a systemic issue this is a rope around the leg of any other efforts to try and improve the situation you know and it we can't we can't just pretend like when we build the system and everything else will just work out. Right. You know, decades now have shown that doesn't happen. There needs to be a holistic approach to providing these home community-based services and adequate wages for the people doing the work to enable people with disabilities to live and receive care in their homes and communities is a huge part of it. And this is the first time it's really gotten a lot of noise about being addressed.
1: Wow. Yeah, um, I mean, me and Tara, we have experienced this firsthand. Owen has a Medicare, um, or no, a Medicaid waiver through the state, uh, which gives him, you know, a bucket of money that we can spend on respite care is how we choose to use it. Um, so we have, you know, funding for a provider to come in our house for so many hours a week and hang out with Owen, um, you know, help him with his, activities of daily living and you know just give us a little bit of a break um we lost our provider in april of 2020 um she was through an agency and the agency just called us and they're like yeah we don't accept your waiver anymore bye and we've been looking for a new provider ever since um we were approved in december through another agency And they're like, yeah, we'll let you know when we have someone that can do it. We don't have anyone hired. (laughs) Like, it's impossible to actually, it's impossible to get the funding in the first place. But then to actually find someone that can provide the services is impossible because it doesn't pay enough.
0: And I think that it doesn't pay enough. And unfortunately, sometimes the training is all over the place. Mm. Um, but definitely, the pay is I mean, you know, yes, a lot of uh college kids sometimes will fill these jobs um but even they want to be paid kind of like a living wage um so it wouldn't ma- deserve it, I know, so it would make sense that it it I, it absolutely makes sense that we're addressing the wage issue in this entire problem um because you're right, if we don't um. It's just going to keep going around and around and around. Yeah, that makes absolute sense.
1: Yeah, and I know that some um, families pay their providers above and beyond Mm -hmm. what they receive from, you know, their employer just so they can get someone. Um, It's obscene. Um, Yeah, and then, you know, even finding someone that accepts Medicaid or, you know, the Medicaid waiver can be really difficult because Medicaid doesn't reimburse very much. Mm -hmm. So it's great to like have all these services quote unquote available, but if you can't actually access them, what good are they doing? Mm -hmm. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: So I think it's, I think it's great that that's the first Uh, issue that you want to address. Uh,
2: Yeah. uh, A small victory here. So we have ongoing litigation going back to, I think in 2014 Disability Rights Ohio sued um, then Governor Kasich and then the lawsuit actually dragged had to be renamed to uh, versus DeWine um, and then was settled last year and as part of the settlement um, the state made something like 750 or so new waivers, uh, state waivers available, people who are living in certain facilities in the state of Ohio. um, to then take advantage of that waiver to you know, receive services in their home. Um, and just last week we started doing virtual visits into facilities to let people know about this because half of them, um, were still available. Uh, hadn't been taken advantage of. So even after you got the victory of, you know, the settlement and, um, the uh, waivers becoming available, then the Hill is, well, how do we, in the middle of a pandemic, let people know about that,
3: mm-hmm, Yeah,
2: you know? um the data from the state i mean this is the state's data that shows uh, around 98 percent of people who chose to leave a facility and live in a home or community-based setting was happy with their decision so wow. you're 98 percent wow. success group, you know and that's the state's numbers <laughs> you know yeah. it's not like you can really question the source right um, and so now the hill is just making sure okay these waivers are still out there we' got to make sure people know about them. So it's not always just about improving the system or fixing the systemic parts.
3: We'll mm-hmm.
2: have to know what they're able to do and that's why um, loud advocacy uh, and communication is is so important.
0: Can I just clarify just to, to make sure that I'm I am um, tracking with you in terms of exactly what we're talking about this evening? So we are talking about like the community-based services versus the residential or institutional-based services. And when you say um, residential or institutional, are we talking about kids, adolescents, and adults that we have like all of those here in Ohio? I'm not sure. I don't know if many people would be familiar with kind of what the choices of institutions are or residentials are or like that they even have community choices that are available to them
2: yeah i mean the bulk of residential care in ohio is privatized okay so it's it's for-profit businesses um anytime there's money flowing like that like you know we're doing virtual visits this like i said starting this week um because we have the legal access and right to but we're going into a business and telling people who the business is making money off of you can get a state waiver and be somewhere else. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so just the whole idea of, you know, for-profit, the healthcare, I think is, is hugely problematic here with, you know, so much of the state's care system being privatized.
0: I agree. I agree. And just for full disclosure, I have worked in an adolescent residential facility. I did for a little while. Um, and I also did community-based settings with adults. Um, I did some time in a group home, again, as like a caseworker, kind of person overseer, if you will. So I can very clearly picture the differences kind of between the two. Um, And I just want to make sure that our listeners are able to kind of visualize that as well. um, When they're thinking about like these differences between a community based service and what we would call like a residential or institutional based service.
1: Yeah, and also, I think when you think residential, it's not like the movies. Everyone's not wearing, you know, a straitjacket. Um, it's not Girl Interrupted. Great movie. Um, you know, it's...
0: It really looks different based on where the the institution is. Yeah. Um, there are two institutions that I can think of, two residential places for adolescents that I can think of, that are just very different. In part of what um, Ross mentioned was the fact that they're privatized, you know, they're owned for profit. So the 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 company, the people in charge of running that company, have very different ideas about what works and what doesn't when it comes, you know, based on either treatment or, um, you know, how this facility is set up or what services they might provide it's so it's it's you can't compare things it's kind of like apples and oranges wherever you would go
1: right yeah um it's kind of like a Walmart and a target they're similar but very different <laughs> you know they're not
0: as they're not because <laughs> it's the free market it's a different kind of it's a different kind of uh uh Walmart and target if you will yes
1: yes, yes <laughs> um, so how do you think improving wages for home health care workers will help everyone? Like how by helping this, um, group of, you know, providers, how will that trickle down and help everyone? I guess we already kind of answered that, but answer it again.
2: <laughs> well, we'll put a bow on it. Um, <laughs> stabilizing,
3: mm-hmm. stabilizing
2: the access to that service. When you don't have 50% turnover, you're going to have, you know, a higher percentage of people available, Versus the open positions, so more people can take advantage of the services. More people take advantage of the services show that it works, um, which recruits more people to take advantage of the
3: services,
2: mm-hmm. which um, increases demand on more people to fill these positions. And if they're, you know, not high-grossing but competitive wages, if we're not fighting for a ton here, um, then you know the demand will create new positions, which. Um, then raises you know the quality of life for these positions that are typically like you said female minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it it addresses a lot of a lot of different issues that we viewed kind of as silos. With one, you know, pretty simple thing. Hey, these people need to make
3: more. Mhm. Mhm.
0: I can give you um, kind of like a quick concrete. So in the um, residential experience that I have there were the kind of floor workers, if you will, Mm -hmm. like the direct um, folks who would be on the unit with the adolescents. And then there were the counselors and then there was the medical team. And then there was like the main psychiatrist, doctor person. Um, Most of the unit or the floor workers were minority um, men and women um, making probably half or a third of probably what I would have made um, while wow. I was there as a counselor. And they're the ones who are spending an entire eight to 12 hour shift with the actual patient or with the actual client. And I may only see the client probably an hour, you know, wow. cause I have a caseload of like 20 kids or 20 adults. And so I'm only seeing the client one hour for that day I'm making a heck of a lot more money, but the person who's responsible for being with them for like an eight hour shift, they're not being, um, I think fairly compensated for the amount of work we expect them to do. And that is a valuable, you know, human being relationship that they are in charge of for eight hours of the day. And so to not give them a living wage, I think is just, it's ridiculous, but that's what it's gross. we're dealing with.
2: shameful. I think all of us kind of look at that and say we should be better than this.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Ugh. So we talked about the first thing you wanted to talk about in terms of the um, uh, the wage increase, but now mm-hmm. you also wanted to talk about the preventing custody relinquishment. And I am not um, I don't have a lot of experience in this, but I know that you've done your research. Yeah. On
1: it. So I, um, this gets me super fired up. Um, so in the state of Ohio, and this is how it was a while ago, I know that there are people fighting to change this. I, as far as I know, it's still the way things are done. Um, in order to have residential treatment paid for, Insurance companies don't cover it. Um, In order to have long-term stays in residential care facilities covered, paid for, you have to relinquish custody of your child to the state. CPS gets involved, they take custody of your child, and then they pay for them to go to residential. And then theoretically, you get custody of them back, you know, six months, a year after they've been discharged. Um, First of all, my first question is why and what and who thought of this because this is terrible. Um, How come if the state can pay for my son to get residential treatment when they're in their custody, why can't they pay for it when he's in my custody or why can't my insurance company be compelled to pay for it? Um, cause I can tell you if they're going to residential treatment, pretty much all avenues have been exhausted. No one wants to give their kid up for treatment, you know, to go to a residential facility. Like people don't want that, but if it gets to a point where they're not safe, you know, we have had this conversation, me and my husband, um, you know, Owen was unsafe for a long time. And unfortunately, he was too, he was actually too young to go to residential. Like we were told, just try to hang in there until he's 10 and he can go to residential. And we're like, well, that's not an option for us. Like, what are you talking about? Um, you know, so we had to have a conversation of like, what's our line in the sand of he can't be here anymore. as a safety issue for our oldest son. Um, and when I asked that question, this is what we were told. Oh, we will have to give up custody. Um, (laughs) I don't know if this is how it's done in other States, but, um, that's traumatic. It's, uh, there's just so many things that I could say about it and none of them are good.
0: It's kind of indescribable. So uh, yeah, that is a good question. Are you able to help us with that of the, the why?
2: I have never, ever heard a reasonable explanation as to why custody of the child is a part of this, Um, you know, and and this is is something we specifically outlined in this interested party testimony for the budget because it's, you know, we keep talking about the importance of access to home community-based services, right, that's anybody, you know, children I think especially who are far more likely to do better in a home or community-based setting. Who want to receive their care there should be able to so we know that's important so then why have we allowed this connection to be made between you know and it's not just being able to receive um residential care it's being able to pay for residential care right like this literally comes down to the connection between the money and whose custody the child is in um
1: and residential care can cost up to ten thousand dollars a day so it's not like you can pay out of pocket hmm sorry it's, um,
2: yeah it's uh, i don't know i've not ever heard a good explanation for it and and just you know not that the well-being of a child should ever come down to dollars but you have to understand how much more expensive things get for the state when they take on the ch- to custody of a child like then there's more caseworking involved and there's more hours being filled um it doesn't make any sense for any, and I don't think it's an intentional connection that was made. I think at some point these systems all kind of developed without much regulation, without much oversight and without much intersectionality, they all just kind of sprung up around each other. And I think this is a consequence, not a design. Um, but now people are finally saying, well, we're finally saying it needs fixed, Yeah. right? Like these kids, don't have much of a voice in a legislative body these parents are largely worked to death trying to take care of their kids they don't mm-hmm. they don't have the time to organize and rally go to the state house say mm-hmm. mm-hmm. hey fix this some of the you know they need to be given a voice um, and you know i think with such important um, importance being placed on the home community based services that you know our team thought this was a perfect time to bring this up and so i you know we're calling for additional state waivers for youth um you know, and I think that that connection is one that really needs to be looked at. That's why Mm -hmm. we are supposedly an enlightened society. Why is that still something we're discussing? Mm
1: -hmm. It almost feels like a slap in the face. Like, oh, you need help so bad. Fine. We'll take your kid. Like, that's not helpful. What do you, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And it does like I feel like people are afraid to reach out for services and to reach out for help because they're afraid that's going to happen or it's a possibility or, um, you know, there also comes a point where, okay, so there's the spoon theory, right? Say you have 12 spoons in a day, getting out of bed takes two, taking a shower takes three. Like, how are you going to spend these 12 spoons? Uh, actually functioning (laughs) throughout the day takes a lot of spoons. You don't have the energy to go fight at the end of it.
0: Well, the I, I mean, it it does come down to the resources. You know, when you think about, when I think about kids, adolescents, um, maybe older folks who are in residential or like in an institutional setting, um, we're probably talking about folks who comes from lower socioeconomic status Mm -hmm. most of the time um and i saw that discrepancy where i worked and um like ross said those parents are not the caregivers are are not able to have the resources to just sit around and fight you know spend the time spend several hours talking to different people spend several phone calls i mean I know what it's like to fight the insurance just for something that's like basic and that's needed, but then to have that whole conversation about like giving up custody of a child or what that looks like, I can't, I can't imagine what that would be like to go through and to have those resources to be able to fight that fight. Yeah. It's just not, I don't think it's there for them right. and that should not be something that's held against them Right. for that because that's not their doing.
1: And then what happens when you're discharged? You know, Owen has all these services set up. Like, if he goes residential, does he come out and all that's gone? Do we have to start all over and get on another waiting list for eight months? Like, it's just not, um, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Make it make sense, Ross.
2: Oh,
1: boy.
2: <laughs> um, I I can't, I'll say this is my opinion, and I can't say this definitely speaks for the exact um, legal opinion of CRO, but the custody of a child should be directly tied to the safety and well-being of that child. Amen. It shouldn't be connected to the way the dollars flow for the child to receive the services that they need. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Absolutely. And I don't
2: think that's a controversial take.
3: Mm-mm.
1: Shouldn't be. You wouldn't you think know? it would be. <laughs> Um, so you've also told me about some other exciting things that you guys have got going on. One thing we're very excited about here on this show is um, I will say reallocating funds from the police we We kind of go back and forth on defund the police. I'm a bigger fan of reallocate the police. That's not as snappy though um, basically investing money in community services in addition to police you know why the police get all the fun um let's so, put some money in community and see if that helps
2: yeah we have two um two kind of uh actions right now um that have gotten out of the space the first one actually came out last fall and that is um, a couple of you know, really skilled um, uh, lawyers and legal advocates dug in and did research and just investigated um, the intersectionality of uh, disability and race and encounter the police. Um, you know, last summer, I think just collectively as a society, we finally reached a point where we couldn't look away anymore we get fired up and pissed off about one situation and be on the news for a week and then we forget about it go back to normal life we finally boiled over to the point where we said we're not going to let this go so that came and in this it's a really really well um well-written report i think explains it in a way that makes sense to build on our website but the takeaway is people with disabilities account for roughly 20 percent of the population People with disabilities are 30 to 50 more likely to be killed by police than people without. And there's a lot of different directions you can take that, but police are typically not trained in how to deal with people who are having a mental health crisis. Um, So once we put that report out, uh, we started working on some more localized efforts and actually engaged with Columbus City Council on um, and encourage them to reimagine our police force and the the messaging around defund um, as a communications person i think has been problematic from the start Um, but really looking into who is most properly equipped to deal with these sorts of issues so we uh, sent a letter to city council two weeks ago asking them to examine the cahoots model um, which I think most people are familiar with, that allocates people with mental health training and therapists and people who are, are equipped to respond to these types of mental health crises. And, you know, honestly, they need to show up with like a sweater and a coffee and not a gun and a pair of handcuffs and just be ready to talk when no matter how much de-escalation a police officer has, a black and white car with lights on pulling up and a person getting out and a uniform with a gun on their hip and, you know, handcuffs on their belt, that by nature escalates the situation, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't make a case that doesn't. <clears throat> and it's not being anti-police. That's not believing that police are intentionally targeting people with disabilities. I don't think anyone would say that with a straight face. But the systems of policing that we have built inherently are more dangerous to people with disabilities than people without. The data supports that, it's difficult to argue against. So we said, okay, we identified the problem. That's great, we complain about problems all day long.
3: Mm-hmm. Let's talk
2: about solutions. And this is one that I think is, is fairly low risk. And you know, if you could get out of the Facebook tribalism of, of you know, which side of the coin you sit on, it makes a lot of sense.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think um, I, I think you're right. When people hear defund the police, they stop listening, um, and they, you know, they go on the offensive. Um, we we are not anti police by any stretch of the imagination. We want the police to be able to do what the police are supposed to do. You know, go catch burglars, go catch rapists. That's what we want you to do. I don't need a police officer when my son is in a mental health crisis, I need a trying professional that can deescalate the situation and, you know, hopefully have a positive outcome. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, (laughs) you had mentioned the cahoots model. I got some statistics. Oh, do you have statistics? Uh-huh. Well, for
0: what well, I am not familiar with the CAHOOTS model. You don't
1: know about CAHOOTS? No, I don't. Oh my gosh. When Ross told me, I like yelped a little bit. Okay. Because I was so, he's like, oh, so you've heard of it? I'm like, uh huh. Okay. <laughs> oh, all right. I'm listening. I have anxiety over the phone too. Mm-hmm. Um, So CAHOOTS is based out of Eugene, Oregon, and it stands for Crisis Assistance Helping Out on the Streets. So it's a mobile crisis intervention team, and it's integrated into the public safety system of the cities of Eugene and wow. Springfield, Oregon. Okay. Um, it's free. Doesn't cost anything. Um, so they respond to a broad range of non-criminal crises, including homelessness, intoxication, disorientation, substance abuse, and mental illness problems, and dispute resolution. Gotcha. Um, so there's non-medical, not non-emergency medical care, first aid, and transportation to services is provided. There's a CAHOOTS van. It can be dispatched to Eugene through the non-emergency police call center. Okay. Um, it's confidential, voluntary. It's staffed by a clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're a separate organization. Um, so some interesting facts. Um, in 2017, the CAHOOTS team's answered 17% of the Eugene Police Department's overall call volume. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a lot.
0: That is, yeah.
1: Like, 17% of the calls police were being called for, someone else could handle. Okay. This program saves the city of Eugene an estimated $8.5 million in public safety spending annually.
0: What could we do with that money in our schools?
1: Right?
3: Right? Cool.
1: Yeah. Um, Also... Um, a study in, ni- in 2016 estimated that 20 to 50 percent of fatal encounters with the law enforcement involved in individuals with a mental illness, mm-hmm. ended, you know, like Ross said. Um, but the CAHOOTS model demonstrates that these fatal encounters are not inevitable. And this is all from whitebirdclinic.org, which is the website for CAHOOTS. Um, these fatal encounters are not inevitable. Last year, out of a total... Of roughly 24,000 cahoots calls, police backup was requested only 150 times. Wow. It works. Their uh, budget is $2.1 million annually. The police department's budget is $90 million. All
0: right. Tell us more, Ross.
2: So uh, I know Sarah knows this, Terry, you probably don't. For a huge portion of my career, 12 years, I worked in television news as a journalist. Um, I ran the assignment desk uh, at WSYX here in Columbus for two years, right out of college, and then uh, 10 years at, at Channel 10. And a huge part of my day, well, my whole day, a huge part of my job was listening to 13 or 15 police and fire scanners that were set up around my desk. So I can tell you, like, I understand both the volume of calls for service that a public safety department will receive and the way that, So many of those calls could be better handled than by sending armed uniformed officers. Um I think, you know, in society we have a place for policing. We will always need police officers to help keep people safe. And that should be the mission. But we've just let ourselves use that as any sort of thing that needs done, well, we'll just send the police. And we're seeing now how our systems are set up and the situations that that creates. And I think um, Sarah saying that, you know, these fatal encounters aren't inevitable and that's, that's exactly right. There are so many people who are dead because they had an encounter with police while they were having a mental health crisis, right? Those people we should have had, not just services to prevent the police from getting to them and that being the outcome that being shot, they should have had access to, safe services to help avoid the situation. Um, the gentleman, I think it was, in, it was the end of last year in Rochester,
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: who you know, was having a mental health crisis, was naked in the middle of the street, and the police officers put a spit hood over them, one of those metal mesh hoods tightened around mm-hmm. his neck, and they took him down, and while his face was pressed into the mesh against the ground, he was killed.
1: And um, he was handcuffed, was correct?
2: Unnecessary. Yeah. Was completely avoided. It was handcuffed. And there's no criminal charges because, you know, the police really didn't do anything against what they were trained to do. And that's, every time this debate pops up, and I'll be totally transparent, I've stopped posting about it really on social media. I don't talk about it because I know what the argument's going to be before it happened, and I just, I don't want to spend that much energy on it in my personal life. Um, but um, this isn't being anti-cop. I don't think you know most of the most police officers I think are are good in doing these for the right reasons. It's an examination of the systems that our society has built. And once you can remove, you know, the individual out of it and say, I'm not saying you're bad, there definitely are, as we're seeing in a few trials that are ongoing and upcoming, but it's our systems. And until we can step back and look at the broad range of systems that we've built and the way that they negatively impact minorities, people with disabilities, people um, you of know, different races, religions, nationalities, it's not going to get better. Um, and I, it's, I hate that it's taken so many situations and so many deaths to get there, but we're here and an organization like ours can't take our foot off the gas. Mm-hmm. And so um, I encourage everyone to go, the, the report is available on our website. Um, the policing report it's not a heavy read it's not going to put you to sleep it's a nice pretty easy read but it explains everything so well and then once that was out there then we kind of localized and I, I think the city has been receptive to at least discussing this and if you can get a conversation that's an opportunity right and that's that's what we're trying to do
1: yeah I think especially um the part where it saves money will um perk some ears and unfortunately, you know, we talk about this a lot on the show when it comes to disabled people versus money. People don't win very often.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, it's
0: the universal thread of health care for profit. And then, you know, then you get into the prison industrial complex and there's private prisons. So it's prison for profit. And just that whole system. Like Ross is saying, all of the systems that we've set up, we need to re-examine them and, and actually have them work for the good of the people and not so much about the dollars.
1: Yeah. We That's don't right. have to keep doing what we've always done. Mm-hmm. You know, when you know better, you do better. Mm-hmm. Our job is making you know better mm-hmm. so that you can do better.
2: Mm-hmm. I know this isn't on the outline, so I'm going to deviate a bit. Sarah, I apologize. <laughs> Your outline was <laughs> a little bit. But Just this is out a cold you know, sweat. The, the topic brought it up, um, uh, our our system of incarceration, right, in the prison industrial complex. We put out an investigative report the end of last year about the Cuyahoga County Jail, um, which if you even remotely tune into news in the state of Ohio, or especially in Northeast Ohio, you know that this this facility has had a lot of problems for a long time. Um, We had like a two-year investigation where um, we found so many issues and it's you know access to adequate physical health care was problematic access to any mental health care was problematic so those two things were putting people in a box barely taking care of their physical needs and totally neglecting their you know mental health needs and then um, part of the clinic where they could receive services and part of the shower rooms were completely inaccessible the people in wheelchairs for each other um help moving around so as if you know incarcerating people wasn't dehumanizing enough we're mm-hmm. further victimizing them while they're behind bars and with Cuyahoga County is a jail that's not a prison so if you're there there's a good chance you haven't been convicted of a crime yet that's where you go to wait for your trial right because you don't have the money for okay. a cash bond which is that can be a different show but I'll come talk about that too.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so these people you know are, are, we're so proud of this you know our justice system that you're innocent until proven guilty well here you know go be stuck you know if, in if that you're high rich rise. exactly
3: mm-hmm.
2: almost like there's two systems of justice depending on how much money you make mm-hmm. and, uh, so that report is also available and um it was a little bit enlightening that during a committee meeting at the state house just like two weeks ago uh, a representative from the cleveland area actually asked the ohio director of uh, uh, department of corrections specifically about our report saying hey you know this pretty small organization based in columbus and i to find all these issues can you answer for this and there wasn't an answer but i feel like that was a good first step you know, mm-hmm. you, yeah. the problems are brought to light, and these these people don't have voices. You know, if, if you find yourself in the guy who got jail, you probably don't have much of a platform. You probably don't have much of an avenue to advocate for yourself. Um, and so then, who's going to speak up? Sure, treat them treat him like crap in there. It doesn't matter. Um, so uh, it's you know, it's just another another part of this that you know is so separate and so connected that you know, so you almost don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah
1: it's like every new topic is worse than the last <laughs> it just takes you
0: down another rabbit hole of, <laughs> of rabbit sadness. hole of shame
1: that's the name of this <laughs> what episode. are we doing
0: to each other yeah
1: in the words of the great jerry springer take care of others or something like that <laughs>
0: something like that so, the takeaways that I have kind of so far from the evening of speaking with you, Ross, is that um, healthcare for profit doesn't seem to be working, especially when it comes to mental health and our kind of our institutions. Um, and we want to push for community versus residential or institutional. Um, and then custody relinqu- relinquishment is just ridiculous and gross, and gross, basically. And there's really no good reason for it. And, um, hopefully we're getting a cahoots program sometime soon here in Columbus. Is that right?
2: I wouldn't say we're hopefully getting one soon. I think we have raised the issue with city council and we have their intention.
1: Okay. You started a dialogue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay.
0: It's the first step we're in the diplomacy phase.
2: We have many steps to go. Mm -hmm. Um, but at this phase, we just can't let them forget that the first conversation happened. Right, um, you know that's the hardest part. You get your foot in the door. Uh, once you get a chance to make your case,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you just got to keep going, and that's that's where we are.
0: So, what do we want our average? What should our average maybe person who is listening that doesn't have either a disabled loved one in their lives or is an actually disabled person? what should we be directing them to do in terms of um, supporting the DRO?
2: The best thing you can do is be informed. Um, Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I promise I won't spam you. That's everything that's there is me posting. Um, We're not going to blow you up. Um, But it just really will help you understand not just the result of the issues, but the root causes of the issues. And there are plenty of ways you can get involved. And it might be, you know, we'll put out an alert but hey, you know, Here's the issue we're facing. This is our proposal. Can you contact your representative at the state level and see if you can fix this? Um, I think the biggest issue right now is helping people be informed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many people go through life without a disability or without, you know, being close to a loved one with a disability, and they have no idea. And a lot of them think that they know.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: They don't know what they don't know, mm-hmm. you know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: as difficult as that can be to chase. Um, that's the biggest thing you can do is be informed. And once you're informed, I think a path will show itself to you. If you have a little time where you can get involved, um, that's all it takes is people who don't have that direct connection, but the desire to make, you know, life better. Our, our founding mission is to foster a society where, um, the rights enjoy or the rights of the majority are enjoyed by all.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Oh, we live in a free and equal society, but that is absolutely not true.
1: Not even close. Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
2: Yeah. So I think that's a mission that everyone can get behind. And, you know, we're not going to hit you up asking for money. We're funded by federal grants. So this isn't ever really a fundraising operation. Um, it's an educational advocacy and involvement. That's all we're asking for.
0: Mm-hmm. Like a almost like a hearts and minds kind of thing. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, we will post links um, to the DRO. We'll make sure we get those links to the report you mentioned as well. And...
1: I do have one question for you, Ross. Okay. It's a little... Um, we've started to end the show on a happy note, or at least tried, <laughs> uh, where we talk about something good that's happening in our lives. We call this segment... Are you ready? Take No Shit, Only Vitamins. So... <laughs> How are you taking no shit and only vitamins what's, right now? What's something good
0: in your life right so now? So for
1: example, mine is that there's a new Amy Poehler movie about a feminist res- revolution out on Netflix. <laughs> and I watched it at work yesterday. Okay. And today I watched Titanic. Okay. That's it. That's all. That's all I had to be happy
2: about. That's all you want. <laughs> <laughs> Um mine uh name is super important to me. Um, as you can see, there's drums all around me in this room. Um, today I was I teach high school percussion at Watkins Memorial High School. Today I was back with my students and we actually got to go to the middle school and recruit for next year's group.
3: Oh, that's awesome.
2: Mask up and I actually got to sit in with the seventh grade band and play a little bit with, that was fun. Wow. You know. Um, and the the band band that I'm in, we're starting to gig out again in in a safe manner. So we played last week, we played tomorrow night, and then we have some gigs coming.
1: Nice. Bring out for
2: the rest of the summer. So it's just nice to be making music again.
1: That's awesome. Tara's having a big uh, birthday party uh, with a band. If you'd like to come, <laughs> <laughs> is that
0: my is that my Happy thing. (laughs) I can talk about that. No,
1: we could have like a whole show and have like a bunch of different bands. I
0: know. No, what I'm really, um, what I, my thing is this time right now is kind of similar to Ross's is that um, Quentin auditioned for his play, um, The Spring Musical, and he uh, is an amazing singer. And so I'm hopeful he's getting a part and it might actually be in person. Like we might actually be able to go see... The kids perform in person and I will probably cry.
1: I know you'll cry. The
0: entire time.
1: What's the musical? Frozen?
0: No, it's called Working.
1: Oh, is it an original? Yes. Ah. Well, no, like,
0: I mean, it's an original Broadway musical.
1: Oh, I thought like like they wrote it. (laughs) No,
0: no, no, no. Yeah.
1: So that's my happy thing. That's awesome. Yeah.
2: That's awesome.
0: Ross, thank you so much for joining us again tonight.
1: You're the best.
2: Thank you. This is fun. I get a little fired up, but you can't
0: tell. No, I love it. We love you doing that. And um you can be like a third time host. Yeah. Like you're climbing up there in yeah. the
1: uh, honestly, you're one of our most popular episodes. Yes. Uh you got more uh, downloads than Rob Bell. Just putting that out there. Who is Tara's Tina Fay? <laughs> can you, you to
2: imagine? imagine? Yes. <laughs>
1: you're basically a celebrity so you
0: have to write a book now and go on a national speaking tour oh
2: my gosh! in all my spare time
1: and you have to put you have to thank us in the acknowledgements right for, right we, for discovering you
0: we get to be your opening act
1: <laughs> people be like i want a refund get me out of here
0: all right it's late we need to go yeah you want me to say my outro
1: um yeah just, I think that just was once again outline. thank you so much yes. Ross for all your work that yes. you're doing and for talking with us and uh let me know let us know what we can do to help we want to help this you know mm-hmm. you got the momentum going and now let's keep it going yep
0: we sh- we will share links and reports and direct everybody to the DRO website
1: yeah okay they got a little good info
0: All right. Well, as always, thanks for listening, everybody. We love our listener family. And here's to the complexities in our journeys, the joys and sorrows, the highs and lows. May those who observe us do so with compassion, especially for our amazing kiddos.
1: And everyone. And everyone. And support Disability
0: Rights Ohio. And find your own disability rights. Fill in the blank state. And go support them if you're out of Ohio listening to
3: us right now.
1: Oh, I guess that's one thing. Um, All of this is very Ohio focused today. So if you are listening from a castle in Africa, um, please do find out what needs done in your community. Go do it. This is just an example. I'm sure these problems exist countrywide. Exactly. Worldwide. All
0: right.
3: Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.